Yes, all aboard. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. And the train is building up ahead of steam. So grab your ticket. It's free. Get on board. This train will be picking up passengers along the way. Taking you on a sports journey. So, enjoy the ride. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your conductor, Anthony Smith. Hey, what's happening? It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table, and you already know you are on board the A-Train. Hang on for the ride. Welcome to Wednesday evening edition of the A-Train Sports Talk podcast on January the 13th, and we have a lot to get to. Major trade news, also college hoops action tonight here in Wichita as the Tulsa Golden Hurricane come in to Coke Arena tonight in front of a little over 2,000 fans now to take on the Wichita State Shockers tonight. So what we're going to do first is we're going to take a look at that and see what we can expect right now to let you know. The Shockers are actually favored to win this game. The game starts at 6 o'clock. The over-under is 133.5. Money line, minus 180 on Wichita State, plus 150 on Tulsa. The spread, minus 3.5 Wichita State. Uh, Last time these two teams hooked up, they won that game against the Golden Hurricane at the Reynolds Center by a score of 69 to 50, 69 to 65. They let a lead slip away, but they hung on for the victory. So, as we take a look at this. Wichita State looks to tame Tulsa on Wednesday. Also named this week as Freshman of the Week, Ricky Council, after his performance, And uh, basically looking to probably expound on that. However, Wichita State men's basketball interim head coach Isaac Brown spoke to the media ahead of the Shockers matchup with Tulsa set for Wednesday night. He spoke about the best ways to beat Tulsa. If his team can play a better game and Ricky Council's development. Interim head coach Isaac Brown on opening statement. He said, we have a good game. We had a good game against Cincinnati. We had a slow start. 
but in the second half we picked it up. We were able to get to the rim a lot in our double in our dribble drive. We got out in transition and were able to get a lot of easy baskets. Ricky Council fourth had a great game, 23 points off the bench. I thought Clarence Jackson brought a lot of energy. Tyson at the end was just okay in the first half, but we got him a lot of shots in the second half. I think he scored 16 points overall. It was a good team effort. Tulsa is a good basketball team, the hottest team in the league right now. They're on a six-game win streak. They've got Brandon Rachel, who I think right now, outside of guys on our team, he's the best player of the year in the league, <clears throat> really talented. They've got a good basketball player in Elijah Joyner, the guard. They've got one of the best defenses in the country with that matchup zone. So we've got to do a good job of trying to get out and transition to try to get some easy baskets so we don't have to go against a set defense. If we have to go against that, we need to execute and make some wide open threes. If this is the biggest week of the season with matchups against Tulsa and SMU, he said, I hadn't looked further than the Tulsa game. I hadn't thought much about SMU. I think Tulsa is the biggest game. If we can win this game, we've got a we've got the tiebreaker rule over those guys. So that's what makes it really huge. They are in first place right now. They're four and one. We're three and one. We have the opportunity to be in first with Houston. With Houston with a win. They're a good basketball team, so we've just got to do a good job of just handling that matchup zone, being able to make shots, trying to get out and transition to get some easy ones and defending and rebounding at a high level. His comments about his team being good enough to win the conference. I think that was taken out of context. It was just something in the locker room. I was just trying to give those kids confidence. When I first started that statement, I said, if you guys play like this every night at a high level, like you did in the second, you have a chance to go a long way. But I do think we've got a good basketball team. This is a huge basketball game against Tulsa. They're 4-1, the hottest team in the league, the defending champions. This will help us if it's a tiebreaker rule in the end, if we could win two games over those guys. Ricky Council, the fourth development. He said, I definitely think last game was a glimpse of what he, of what he can bring night in and night out. He's a super talented kid. He's getting better defensively. I think now... He's starting to understand our system. I just told him early on. I just told him early on it wasn't about scoring to stay on the court. You got to defend. You got to execute. When you can do those things, you allow more minutes. Now you're scoring. We can see what you can do on offense. We always knew that he could score the basketball. I mean, he's had science and practice where he's dominated some days because he's really good off the bounce. He has a lot of confidence. I think he feels like he's the best player on the floor at times. In order to be a great player, you got to have confidence in yourself. And he does have a lot of confidence in himself. The attitude of this team to never get down on themselves. I think these guys together. I think these guys just stay together. Nobody ever points fingers when we're down. They're all acting like leaders in the locker room. We can go in and have time down or we balance in the second half, and all those guys are picking each other up. I think the bench has given us a lot of energy, just the way they're clapping and yelling for their teammates. 
Those guys just stay together, and we've got good leadership. It's helping us win games. Tyson Etienne's prospect as an NBA talent. Without a doubt, I always tell kids, you got to go to number one. You got to get a break. You got to get lucky. I coached a lot of the guys that played in the NBA. Some of them probably weren't as talented as him, but it's all about getting the right opportunity. You went in at a high level in college. You're carrying yourself right on the court, off the court, and just working hard. I've seen guys that average two points a game as a freshman, but they wind up playing in the NBA. So a lot of it is on you about your work, what you're willing to put in, and he's getting better and better every game. Last year, he was a catch-and-shoot guy for us. This year, he's a guy that can we can give him the ball late in the shot clock. He can beat you with a jump shot. He can beat you driving the lane, picking up a foul. He can create and give somebody else a wide-open shot. He's really improved this summer, and I just give it up to the kid for how much work he's put in, and it's really paying off. The keys to beating Tulsa. I think number one, we've got to we've got to try to get out in transition where they can't set the zone up. If we can beat them down in transition on makes and misses and try to attack the rim at that point, that helps us in our scoring. I went back and watched the last game. We scored a lot in transition. If we can't get out in transition and we've got to go against their set defense, we've got to make sure we do a good job of attacking it. Then we've got to get organized and run our man sets at a full speed. We've got to run our zone sets. We just can't stand. We've got to have a lot of movement. We've got to be able to, to penetrate the gaps. Then at some point, you got to be able to make a wide open shot. We got up to a good start versus them the last game, but we made four threes early in the game. But the second, but the last two games, I watched them play. They got out to a hot start. I watched them play South Florida. They got off to a hot start. We've just got to do a good job of getting off to a good start and being able to make wide open shots. Having Billy Kennedy as a part of the coaching staff. We've got great assistant coaches on staff. I've worked with those guys for a lot of years. Just having Coach Kennedy here, having head coach experience has really helped because he's been in those situations. He's played teams that play these type of amoeba defenses. He's good at organizing our practices. He's really good at giving me thoughts on talking with the media. He's really good at X and O stuff. Just having somebody there that's been through it, that's been coaching for a long time is great. Somebody that I feel comfortable with that we can argue about sometimes, but I know he's got my best interest at heart. He's got the team's best interest in mind. It's good having a seasoned guy there. The production from the bigs. I always think there's more to take, but they're getting better every game. Morris had a good game last game. He took the game over late. He was able to score inside. He had good patience, but I got confidence in our bigs. I feel like at any time in the game, I can put Isaiah Poor Bear Chandler in the basketball game. He's a good player. He can score it on the block. He's got good hands. He can step out and rebound. He's a good defender. When Joseph at Bilal comes into the game, he gives us something different. He's longer. He's more athletic. He's really good in ball screens. He can block shots. He's a great passer. 
he's another guy that can make wide open threes. So I've got a lot of confidence in our bigs. I still think we can do a better job on the glass, but I think we're good enough inside. They've just got to keep getting better and better. And finally, if it's this team has room to level up, yeah, I still think we can play better. I don't think we played a complete 40-minute game yet. Dating back to the Oklahoma State game, the Mizzou game, I thought we played good in halves. In the Ole Miss game, we didn't have a good first half. We played really well in the second half. The Houston game, we started out good. We didn't play great, play great second half. Even the Cincinnati game, we played well in the second half. We scored 45 points in the second half. The first half, we were just okay. I still don't think we put together a solid 40 minutes. I think we still can play a lot better. I still think we've got a game coming where we're going to get five or six guys who are going to play their best. So we're still looking for that perfect game where we can play 40 minutes, where we can defend at a high level. Hopefully we can put that game together tomorrow. And though those were comments from Isaac Brown as it relates to their game coming up against Tulsa. So hopefully that gets you set for Wichita State versus Tulsa. And like I said, there is a lot more to come. So when I come back, we will dive in to – I'm going to take you back to most likely – The national championship game, because when you get ready to talk about the Brooklyn Nets, that's going to take quite the time. The NBA loves drama, and they got it. So what I'm going to do when I come back, I'm going to talk Alabama versus Ohio State. And I even may just look at the way too early top 25. Stay tuned. A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. This is yours truly, Anthony Smith, and I will be back after these messages. Anthony Smith here with A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your conductor. Just want to let you know that this podcast is listener supported that's right driven by you the listener who wants to support so click on that support button down there you have three options 99 cents a month 4.99 a month or 9.99 a month will get your ad rent on this podcast so click the support button your support will be greatly appreciated once again anthony smith with the a train sports talk podcast want to enhance your workout try the workout bands everyone is talking about Three different resistance levels, light, medium, and heavy. Only at www.cakeybums.com. That's www.cakeybums.com. www.cakeybums.com to enhance your workout with the resistance bands that everyone is talking about. 
Hey, what's happening? It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table, and you already know you are on board the A-Train. Hang on for the ride. Welcome back to my next episode of the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. And as I said, I want to look back at Ohio State, Alabama. Uh, I think what we're going to look at is most likely a legendary coach, a once in a lifetime receiver in Alabama's unforgettable season. And if you really want to be frank with it, the whole season as a whole was unforgettable. When you think about everything that transpired, what we went through games, postponed games, canceled, uh, key players not playing. I mean, it was the whole, this was the COVID season for sure. Most definitely the COVID season. The season of uncertainty. The season that looked like maybe Ohio State wasn't going to be playing in a national title, yet one of their quarterback, one of their players, quarterback, Justin Fields was one of the key advocates of let us play him Trevor Lawrence and how ironic that they met in the semis and Dabo Sweeney added fuel to the fire by saying that he had Ohio State Ohio State as the 11th ranked team and you know just even looking at this video right now as I'm looking at it it amazes me when you look at post game as they are, you know, the customary how they greet and shake hands after the game. And Ohio State was boat race. You, you you look to see some long dejected faces, but technically, I think the look on Ohio State players' face after they pretty much got boat raced in that game was one of sigh and relief that, Hey, we at least made it to this part of the season. And even though we did not come out on top as we would have liked to have come out, we made it through a season of a season of uncertainty. I'm pretty sure they're thinking, you know, when it's all said and done, we probably shouldn't even been here. So let's look at what happened. What the Big Ten made concessions, Ohio State ends up playing in their own conference championship game. Basically, the red carpet was laid out. It's as if the Big Ten had to have Ohio State or nobody else. But here goes some of the highlights from that. So let's roll that. Flips it to him. Devontae headed for the end zone. And Alabama back on top. 
as Smith scores his 44th career touchdown. That's number six all time. It's like your travel. First and goal, Jones on the run, and it's just too easy for Devontae Smith as he just adds to his records and milestones, and Bama stretches the lead. Play action. Jones steps up right down the middle of the field. It's touchdown. Devontae Smith cannot be stopped. A truly special performance by the Heisman Trophy winner. Can you believe that performance right there? Three touchdowns in the first half. So, at the end of a long, grueling, strange, uncomfortable season for college football, we finally got a small piece of normalcy as the final seconds ticked off the clock Monday night at Hard Rock Stadium in the college football playoff. Alabama hoisting yet another national championship trophy after winning it winning in dominant historic fashion only a few spectators were left to see the celebration a small fraction of the roughly 14,000 fans allowed into the facility considering all the restrictions in place in any other year the field is mobbed with friends <clears throat> family media photographers and event personnel in a grand celebration that runs 10 deep along the makeshift stage. On Monday night, a solitary player did snow angels in the fallen confetti as teammates hugged only team personnel. Alabama winning it all felt like the inevitable ending, of course, as the most dominant coach in the sport put together the most dominant team with the most dominant players. For those just tuning in Monday to the college football playoff national championship presented by AT&T against Ohio State, believing they might just see a competitive game, they saw exhibit number 13 showcasing why the Buckeyes simply had no chance. There was Heisman Trophy winner Devontae Smith owning Ohio State so completely that he snatched multiple title game records before halftime and would have shattered more had he not dislocated a finger on his right hand. There was running back Najee Harris bulldozing through the Buckeyes with such force that their collective wheels inevitably broke. Leading it all was a quarterback, Mac Jones, orchestrating yet another nearly flawless offensive performance while, yes, setting his own championship records along the way. The Crimson Tide could not be stopped during the season. They could not be stopped in a 52-24 championship winning performance that no one will soon forget. To me, this team accomplished more almost than any team, said Alabama coach Nick Saban, who won a record seventh national title, played 13 games, went undefeated with all the disruption that we had in this season. I think there's quite a bit to write about when it comes to the legacy of the team. This Alabama team will have its special place in history, and rightfully so. What this team accomplished goes beyond the points and the fancy stats in the Heisman. Players across the sport sacrificed more than they ever have. They endured more than they ever have. They were challenged physically and mentally in ways that remain hard to grasp. They played during a pandemic. 
it might not sink in how remarkable this season truly was until much later, perhaps years down the road, with time to reflect on the extraordinary circumstances in which it all came about. It was an unprecedented year with a lot of adversity, Alabama offensive tackle Alex Leatherwood said. Speaking of him, would love to see him in a Dallas Cowboy uniform. But we just stayed the course, tried to stay focused, and took everything day by day and really got everybody bought in and locked in to what we wanted to achieve, and we came out victorious. Ohio State pushed for this opportunity, too, believing it also had a championship-caliber team with Justin Fields leading the way. Although the Buckeyes started their season later than Alabama, they dealt with Marad coronavirus issues to get to this point and even discussed whether to postpone this championship game because they had more COVID-19 woes over the past week. That all speaks to the uncertainty that filled this season. Nobody truly knew whether college football would make it to the finish line. As coaches basically told anyone who would listen, you're only as good as your last test. The season felt precarious every day with coaches, players, trainers holding their breath, awaiting coronavirus test results. That only heightened the strain on players as they did their level best to follow all the safety protocols to keep playing. As teams across the SEC dealt with outbreaks and Saban dealt with coronavirus himself, only one team truly felt like a sure thing, Alabama, thanks to Smith, Harris, Jones, and everyone else. Yes, there were a few close calls on the way, but this is a team that failed to score 40 or more points only twice and had three players finish in the top five for the Heisman. And you could make a very real case today that they should have finished one, two, and three. This does not happen by accident, of course. Saban recruits the best players, then develops the best players. But this type of offensive performance wasn't preordained either. Saban saw the shifting landscape in college football to wide-open, score-at-will offenses and shifted with it, reinventing the Crimson Tide into an unstoppable offensive force. Considered the first two times he won national championship with Alabama, the Tide scored a combined 58 points, just six more than where they ended up Monday night. Alabama offensive coordinator Steve Sarkeesian once again called a masterful game. Knowing full well Smith would be keyed on every play, he put Smith in new and different formations to give him the ball. But most of the time, Smith just got behind the Ohio State defenders and outran them. By the time the first half was over, Smith had 12 catches, 215 yards, and three touchdowns, broke three SEC career records, set a BCS-CFP championship game record tied another, and set a school bowl record. He does a really good job of calling the game, Saban said to Sarkeesian. He knows what the other team is doing, knows how to attack it, knows where to put the players, to put them in position to be able to make those plays against what the other team is doing. He has just done a fantastic job this year. Jones, meanwhile, threw for 464 yards, breaking Joe Burrow's BCS CFP championship record in time Burroughs passing touchdown record with five one year after college football experts declared Burroughs LSU squad the greatest offense of all time 
Alabama made its own claim to that crown. None of that should come as a shock. Alabama missed the playoffs a year ago and watched the division rival Tigers roll through everyone in similar fashion. Did anyone think Saban would simply be fine with that? Jones, who hobbled on a bruised leg for a good chunk of Monday's second half and still delivered one perfectly placed pass after another, took it a step farther than declaring Alabama the greatest offense. I think we're the best team to ever play, Jones said. There's no team that will ever play an SEC schedule like that again. But at the same time, we're just so happy win this game and put the icing on the cake. There was not a lot of pressure. We just wanted to go out there and play the game we've all been playing since we were five years old. Despite all the unknowns about how this season would unfold, the Crimson Tide committed to each other. We had a mission, Smith said. Everybody wanted to end things the right way. We just all came to work every day and just put in the work. We got the result we wanted. And ultimately, the result that we could all see coming. So there you have it. A look at Alabama. A legendary coach, a dominant receiver, and an unforgettable season. And like you say, like like it was said in there, you you might not fully understand the magnitude of this season until years down the road when and if things get back to normalcy to where we can have full capacities. You would never get the full grasp of what this season was like unless you were a family member of someone that actually played in it, coached in it, or was a part of the personnel. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and say I can only imagine what. No, I cannot imagine what that's like. Only thing I can get close to imagining is me going to work every day, even in the midst of this pandemic, hearing about maybe a few coworkers of mine probably being in close contact with someone. But I'm not the one trying to fulfill classroom obligations, practice obligations, game obligations. That within itself is enough. And then you throw in the fact that you don't know if maybe the guy that you're playing across from may have this virus. And then you find out after the game that the team had players on the team that had the coronavirus, and now you got to get tested because of maybe contact tracing. I mean, us on the outside, we have no imagination of what that's like. So I think these young men, I'm not going to call them kids, these young men need, need to be commended for making it through the season. Next, we're going to look at the Ohio State perspective as well, too. As it is said here, Ohio State had to fight for its season from beginning to end. Most definitely that they had to do. 
because they were one of the teams well the Big Ten as well as the Pac-12 were leagues that actually started the season much later and also got a lot of pushback as well too so let's just take a listen first championship trophy they did secure but Ohio State once again had to fight for its season from beginning to end so Ryan Day kept it together because that's what he does there would be no outbursts or regrettable lines on this day but the Ohio State head coach didn't run from his emotions either sad angry frustrated all the above Day said August 12th about the previous day's decision by the Big Ten to cancel the fall season because of concerns around the coronavirus pandemic. He described the 2020 Buckeyes as a once-in-a-lifetime team and said it was devastating not to see that team take the field. He looked five months ahead to early January, contending the only way the Big Ten could savage a football season was by starting right after the new year rather than the spring. 
by wrapping up before the NFL draft in April. The conference could retain some star draft eligible players such as Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields. A January start would all would create would also create more time before the ensuing fall season and allow mid-year enrollees the chance for two seasons in one calendar year. If you play a full schedule starting in the spring, like when you get into March, now you're asking for trouble, Dave said then. But if you play an eight or nine game season, push it back to January, then that's real. It's important. Just over a month later, however, the Big Ten reversed its initial decision, thanks in large part to a vocal fields and put together a shortened fall season. There were still huge hurdles to clear, but the idea of day leading Ohio State onto the field January 11th to face Alabama for a national title was no longer pure fantasy. That's precisely what Day and Ohio State did Monday night at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami Gardens, Florida. The Buckeyes lost to the tie 52-24, a sour note to end a season like none other, but just getting there was an achievement. This season has been crazy, disruptive, all of the above. I think some games being canceled, not being canceled, that's what it was, they said. After the game, what I tried not to do and what we tried not to do was focusing on those things, have built-in excuses. We just kept pushing forward. They first used the hashtag, fight hashtag, in August 10, tweet, the day before the Big Ten presidents and chancellors officially postponed the fall football season. Swinging as hard as we possibly can right now for these players. This isn't over, they tweeted. We proved to be right. He proved to be right. University President Christina Johnson, lead football team physician Dr. Jim Bolchers, athletic director Gene Smith, Ohio State player, parents, and team members continued to push for a delayed, truncated fall season. Fields, the Buckeyes' highest profile player, launched a Hashtag we want to play petition that collected more than 250,000 signatures within a day. Day, not a frequent tweeter, continued to apply pressure through social media. Boaters who played for Ohio State in the early 1990s became the Big Ten's leading medical advice, medical voice to convince the presidents and chancellors to reinstate the season. Although Nebraska, Iowa, and other Big Ten programs also pushed for a season, Ohio State had the biggest brand, the loudest voice, the best team, and the most clout to see it through. As one Big Ten assistant coach later told me, they're the team that wants the season the worst. The Buckeyes can win the damn thing. Ohio State ultimately got a season, but it became a grind on multiple levels. The Buckeyes played five regular season games in just one contest between November 21st and the Big Ten Championship on December 19th. As Day noted, November 19, we've had 57 practices and we've only played three games. Very strange. When Arch Rival Michigan canceled a December 12 game at, o- at Ohio Stadium, Ohio State needed, a big, needed Big Ten administrators to change the minimum games requirement for the league championship game so they could qualify. The Buckeyes also faced daily or weekly anxiety around COVID-19 test results, game cancellations, and their chances to reach the Big Ten title game and possibly qualify for the CFP. Ohio State was hardly alone in navigating such obstacles, but no other team, 
not even Alabama, encountered so many twists and turns. That the Buckeyes had legitimate national championship aspirations added excitement, but also angst. Not seeing our families, many of us not being able to see our girlfriends, and just to be in this bubble and to just be around each other. It's been tough, safety, Marcus Williamson said. To go through all that since June and then to have our season ripped away, there was a lot of grieving going on around these walls and these hallways. To have it come back and show up to work every day, putting in the hours that we do, it can be rough on your health and on your mental health, Williamson said. Having those brothers right there next to you and you know they're going through the same thing, I think it's helped a lot of us, a lot of guys. Day was transparent about what players, coaches, and staff endured in 2020. He repeatedly noted the stress and anxiety from the initial season postponement to the restart to the stop and start grind toward the finish line in South Florida. He prioritized mental health long before the pandemic. In June 2019, he and his wife, Christina, launched a fund for pediatric and adolescent mental, mental wellness, a nationwide children's hospital in Columbus. The topic is deeply personal for Day, whose father died by suicide when Ryan was just nine years old. Day was also attentive to the toll that playing during the pandemic took on his players and their families. It hasn't been easy. I think the hardest part was probably going through the holidays, not being around their families, Day said Thursday. And then the constant change, lack of routine, change of course here and there, and then the uncertainty is something that has been difficult. They've been able to sustain through a lot of tough times in adversity. So there's, so that's been one of the silver linings. After Monday's loss, Day's mind was on his players leveling out. We need a break, he said. We all need to get away for a while. This has been a long, long road. Guys miss their families, and they deserve time to be with them. We'll unwind for a little while, have an opportunity to reflect on what the season has been, and then get back into it. You can't go back into work here. You need some time to rest and reflect. It's easy to, it's easy to forget. Day is only in his second full season as a head coach and fourth overall at Ohio State. At 41, he's younger than six of his full-time assistants, but also well-positioned to guide Ohio State through a season like 2020. He's a player's coach, defensive coordinator Kerry Coombs said. He feels the players. He talks to the players all the time. That's one of his greatest gifts. He has a really good understanding of this type of young person in this environment. He will frequently give us suggestions on things to read or watch that don't have anything to do with football, but have everything to do with young people, and it's really helpful. Ohio State's on-field log included the usual lopsided wins against inferior Big Ten competition, but the Buckeyes delivered their most complete and validating performance in the CFP semifinals against Clemson, the team that had ended Ohio State's 2019 season and many assumed would face Alabama. They called the Clemson win a landmark game in program history. There were more obstacles heading into the title game. Fields was still recovering from a massive hit to his side in the Clemson win. Between positive cases and contact tracing, COVID-19 issues began impacting the roster in November in limited position groups like offensive line, wide receiver, and linebacker. There have also been issues in recent weeks 
with the defensive line. Ohio State had three starters sidelined against Alabama, including defensive tackle Tommy Tagaya, who Big Ten coaches considered the team's most disruptive defensive lineman. At one point last week, there were rumblings of potentially postponing the title game. They made it clear throughout the week his team wasn't just happy to make the title game. Any minute not focused on Alabama was a minute wasted, yet he continued to be asked and continued to acknowledge the difficult and draining path to South Florida. Ohio State will likely win more titles and play in more national championship games, but it will never have an odyssey quite like this one. The way that our kids fought for a season and then came back, dealt with all the adversity along the way of games being canceled, guys being out for some programs, there was a lot of guys out early and they kind of got them back and were able to get them in rhythm. It was very diff- It was very, very difficult for us to do that, they said after Monday's loss. So for us to continually work through all of that and get into this moment right here was an unbelievable success. The goal of the game was not to get here. The goal was to win the game. But all of that being said, I couldn't be prouder of our culture, what our kids are made of, and where the program is headed. So you got both perspectives from Alabama and Ohio State in conclusion to the national title game. So what I'm going to do right here, I'm going to pause, and when I come back, I will have some more for you. I would probably look at not the dream team, but the drama team. But you have to stay tuned to find out who that drama team is. I'll be back with more on the A-Train Sports Talk podcast. I am your conductor, Anthony Smith. Stay tuned. There's more to come. Anthony Smith here with A-Train Sports Talk podcast, your conductor. Just want to let you know that this podcast is listener supported that's right driven by you the listener who wants to support so click on that support button down there you have three options 99 cents a month 4.99 a month or 9.99 a month will get your ad rent on this podcast so click the support button your support will be greatly appreciated once again anthony smith with the a train sports talk podcast want to enhance your workout try the workout bands everyone is talking about Three different resistance levels, light, medium, and heavy. Only at www.kakeybums.com. That's www.c-a-k-e-y-b-u-m-s.com. www.kakeybums.com to enhance your workout with the resistance bands that everyone is talking about. Hey, what's happening? It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table, and you already know you are on board the A-Train. Hang on for the ride. Welcome back to my final episode of the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, and we are getting into some news uh i'm i'm trying to come up with my own words for this uh as i was coming home and i was hearing the news that there was a blockbuster trade 
And what it boiled down to was players just usually, in most cases, depend on who you are, you get what you want. And unless you've been living on a rock, you know who went where today. And But before I get into that, I have to play this audio clip because I guess apparently there was a case of some disrespect going on. So let's pull this up. This is Boogie Cousins. So apparently there were some comments made that Harden said, uh, you know, it's always, you know, you're trying to fix up your mess up. So you try to say the right things on the way out. So Harden said that he loved the city, you know, all the blase this, blase that, you know, trying to make sure he said the right thing. Because he knows it's important, he's going to have to go back to Houston. He he knows that. But let's just face it. Harden has basically ruffled some feathers and burned some bridges within the locker room. He disrupted the team chemistry. He has some concessions that others didn't have, but at the same time, it didn't mean they appreciated the concessions that he had. Going to strip clubs on your off day, coming in to practice late, or going on road games and determining where y'all are going to stay at or what time y'all are going to practice. We'll get to Harden going to the Nets, but I want to get back to this. Somebody who's not afraid to say their piece. DeMarcus Cousin rips disrespectful James Harden, says ex-MVP's antics completely unfair to the Houston Rockets. And Houston Rockets center DeMarcus Cousin blasted James Harden. for being disrespectful, saying that the disgruntled superstars' antics this season have been completely unfair to the rest of the players on this roster. Cousins took his strong stance in a virtual media availability Wednesday before, according to the sources, the Rockets traded Harden to the Brooklyn Nets in a 14-blockbuster deal that also involves the Indiana Pacers and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Prior to the trade, reported by ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, 
and Ramon Shelburne, the Rockets announced that Harden did not attend Wednesday's practice due to a mutual agreement with the franchise on the heels of his harsh comments following the previous night's blowout loss to the Los Angeles Lakers. Harden, who had been pushing to be traded for months, declared that the Rockets just aren't good enough and that he doesn't think the situation can be fixed, saying that he had done everything I can for the Rockets. Uh, Let me stop you right there. No, you haven't. When was the last time you advanced past the first round of playoffs? When was the last time you played defense? What championship trophies have you hoisted up in Houston? For that franchise, none whatsoever. Anyway, the article goes on and says, obviously, obviously, it's disrespectful, but everybody has a right to their opinion, Cousins said. We feel a certain type of way about some of his actions. This is the nasty part of the business. That kind of gets swept under the rug. You deal with some of these things. When guys are in positions of being franchise players or whatever the case may be, it's usually sometimes a nasty breakup. Cousins, a four-time All-Star who signed a one-year deal for the veterans minimum after missing most of the previous two seasons because of a series of serious injuries, noted that Harden's post-game media session Tuesday night was a continuation of the former MVP's disrespectful conduct. Just the approach to training camp showing up the way he did, the antics off the court, the disrespect started way before Tuesday night, Cousins said. This isn't something that all of a sudden happened last night. But with that being said, like I said, this is the nasty part of the business. So it is what it is. Harden held out at the beginning of training camp, leaving the Rockets in limbo while he partied maskless in Atlanta and Las Vegas with rapper Little Baby. Little Baby. Little Baby. Everybody want to be little something. Little Momo, Little Wayne, Little Rufus, Little this. Everybody want to be little something. Little Baby. Okay. After Harden reported several days late, he was required to test negative for COVID-19 for six consecutive days before being cleared to join team activities. The mispractice time in preseason games were especially problematic considering the Rockets had several new core players and a first-year head coach in Steven Silas, who was implementing new offensive and defensive systems. Harden was sidelined again for five days and fined $50,000 by the NBA for violating the league's health and safety protocol after video surfaced of him attending a private indoor party days before the Rockets' scheduled season opener, which was postponed due to lack of available players. The Rockets have lost four of their last five games to fall to three and six, and team sources have taken note of Harden's glaring lack of effort recently. He has averaged 17.4 points on 37.8% shooting in the stretch, the lowest scoring five-game span of his eight-plus-year Rockets tenure and has routinely failed to run back in transition defense. Sources told ESPN that several people in the Rockets organization were angered that Harden seemed to point the finger at others on Tuesday night without taking any accountability for his own poor performance. I just feel like it's a way about handling business, Cousins said. 
he can feel however he wants to feel about the organization or whatever his current situation is. But the other 14 guys in the locker room have done nothing to him. For us to be on the receiving end, of some of the disrespectful comments and antics is completely unfair to us. Cousins said he was not happy with the drama at all and was trying to get his teammates to focus only on the thing within their control. We know what our mindset is coming in every day, Cousins said. We want to come in and work, get better, lead this young group. Regardless of what's going on with the team, the guys that are showing up, that are committed, that are bought into the task at hand, we're going to go to war with those guys. Whatever those results are, we're going to live with it. We're going to leave it all on the floor, and whatever happens, happens. Ask if he could play with Harden again if he wasn't immediately traded. Cousin said, I don't really think that's a question for us. I think that's a question for him. Will he ever think he could play with us again? I don't know, quite honestly. Don't care. So, the drama that was Houston. So, now that moves me to what I want to talk about next. Not the dream team, but I call it the drama team. And let's see how this goes down right here. Just to bring you up to speed, okay? There was a four-team blockbuster deal, okay? And you tell me stars don't get what they want when they want it. Well, maybe he didn't get it when he wanted, but eventually he got what he wanted. So... What I'm going to do is I'm going to let the experts weigh in on this. Then I will get you this report. First, guys, I am thrilled to be on this show. You guys know how much I love watching yes, you guys. Man. But it, it, listen, this is this is a massive deal uh, all around. Uh, listen, for the Brooklyn Nets to go out and get James Harden. You know, this was something that Kevin Durant very much wanted. He and Harden started talking about this months ago. And listen, with the uncertainty surrounding Kyrie Irving right now, and I think there's still hope, expectation, he returns and plays for this team. Remember, free agency comes back upon you pretty quick in this league. You know, Kevin Durant's in the second year of a, uh, of a four-year deal. And getting Harden, that's another reason for, for Durant to want to stay. But now... If you get Irving back uh, and, and he's back to playing at a high level, you have a one, two, three, uh, perhaps unlike we've seen in this league in the modern era, but certainly it comes at a steep price. Four first-round picks, uh, four uh, pick swaps. The picks are unprotected. One of those picks is coming from Cleveland. This is part of a three-way deal, really a four-way deal. Harris LeVert goes from the Nets to uh, the Indiana Pacers, and Indiana sends Victor Oladipo to Houston. So a lot of moving parts in this deal. Yeah, you mentioned some of those moving parts, and the Kyrie piece of this is really interesting. I want to get back to that. But let's talk about 
this four-team deal. Give us a little more detail on the second-level part of this, other than just James Harden joining the Nets. Well, I, I think th this was a deal, really, that came together uh, in the last couple days. And Philadelphia was very much uh, in pursuit of James Harden. Obviously, Daryl Morey, their uh, president, uh, traded for him in Houston, won a great deal with him. Uh, but ultimately, this Nets deal, this package, bringing Cleveland uh, into it, uh, got it done. And I think for Houston, you look at them, remember, they gave up a lot of picks in that Chris Paul-Russell Westbrook deal. They get them back and then some, and it gives the Rockets now, their new GM, Rafael Stone, an ability uh, to start a rebuild. Victor uh, Depot's in the last year of his contract. You know, they can see how that goes. Do they want to re-sign him? Uh, does he want to be there? But uh, certainly a, a blockbuster deal by uh, you know, any standard uh, in the NBA. So there you have those comments there. And basically here's where I break down. The Rockets have sent James Harden to the Nets in a blockbuster 14 trade that also involved the Pacers and Cavaliers completing the unhappy stars exit from Houston and setting up a potential super team in Brooklyn, sources told ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski and Ramona Shelburne. The Nets sent Houston a package that includes multiple players and draft picks and features guard Chris LeVert, who was then traded to the Pacers for Victor Oladipo, sources told ESPN. Now, I want to pause right there. Victor Oladipo, once he got traded out of Oklahoma City and playing basically second, maybe third fiddle to Russell Westbrook, he showed just how valuable he was with Indiana. Now you send him to Houston. He does not have to be the star. They have John Wall. You got a veteran like a Boogie Cousins and some other pieces. You get rid of James Harden, you actually might be a better well-rounded team now let's just face it james harden at best outside of being an offensive threat was no more than a defensive liability anyway center jared allen and forward teron prince are headed from the nets to the Cavs in the in the deal sources told espn while the rockets received cleveland guard dante exum and brooklyn forward Rodeon's Kurrooks. Houston also receives Brooklyn's three unprotected first-round draft picks in the deal in 2022, 2024, and 2026, plus pick swaps in 2021, 2023, 2025, and 2027. The Rockets also get Cleveland's 2022 first-round pick via the Milwaukee Bucks, and Houston is sending a 2023 second-round pick to the Pacers, sources told ESPN. Brooklyn also gets a 2024 second-round pick from the Cavaliers. The Nets have three open roster spots to fill out their bench if they choose a 5.7 million tax mid-level, the minimum exception, and likely a 5.7 million disabled player exception. The mega deal reunites Harden with former Oklahoma City teammate Kevin Durant in Brooklyn and positions the Nets, who also have all-star guard Kyrie Irving as a title contender in the Eastern 
conference. I think basketball is about playing together and being the best you can be. So no matter who you are, it's about finding connectivity and balance within a team and trying to be greater than the sum of your parts. Next coach Steve Nash said before Wednesday's game against the Knicks. So that doesn't change no matter what your team looks like. And what's definitely a goal and a thread of our team from day one. The trade was agreed to after the Rockets opted to keep Harden away from Wednesday's practice following the former MVP's comments Tuesday that Houston isn't good enough to compete for a championship. Harden hired Jason Rain and Shaffy Fields from Wasserman, and they worked closely with the Rockets and all teams involved to secure the trade for him, sources told ESPN. Washman also represented Russell Westbrook and worked closely with the Rockets on his trade to the Wizards. The Nets were scheduled to visit the Rockets on March 3rd, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, the last game of the first half of their schedules. At the Caesars Sportsbook by William Hill, the Nets moved ahead of the Bucks and are now the second favorites to win the NBA title behind only the Los Angeles Lakers. The Nets' title odds improved from plus 552, plus 300. My first thought is good to get James Harden to the East. Golden State Warriors coach Steve Kerr told 95.7 the game in San Francisco. A lot of the dominant players have been in the West for whatever reason, and it's good to balance it out. By adding Harden, a three-time scoring champ, the Nets will be able to trot out a lineup of three players capable of scoring 25 or more points on any night, giving them a collection of offensive power to rival any big three in recent years. And let me just stop right there because I remember watching basketball, really like really watching it. One of my favorite teams, they're now known as Oklahoma City, but where they moved from, trivia question. I'm not going to do you like that. Seattle, the Seattle Supersonics. Yes, I, I grew for some reason liking the Supersonics back in the days of Jack Sigma, Dennis Johnson, John Johnson, downtown, Freddie Brown, Paul Silas. Remember those names? But then along the way came another group of players. They didn't win any championships, but on record, they became the first team to have three players averaging over 20 points a game. Yep, Seattle Supersonics. Who are those players? Xavier McDaniel, Dale Ellis. Tom Chambers. So back to the story here. Harden and Durant, who have combined to win seven of the past 11 NBA scoring titles entering this season, became the fifth pair of teammates in NBA history to play on the same team after winning multiple scoring titles, according to Elias. Durant, who scored 26 points in the Nets, 116-109 win over the Knicks on Wednesday is averaging 29.4 points through nine games in his first season back from surgery to repair a ruptured Achilles tendon. Irving was scoring 27.1 per game before leaving the team last week for personal reasons. We'll talk about that too. Harden, who had joined the Rockets after training camp began, is averaging 24.8 points this season after three straight seasons above 30. So now you have 
another big three. By the offensive firepower. Where's defense coming from? Where is the defense coming from? James Harden is a defensive liability. James Harden has never been known as a defensive specialist. How is Steve Nash going to get him in a defensive mindset? My, my my next thing is I'm wondering if there's enough balls to go around. Now it said that Durant was pushing for this trade to happen. He signed off on James Harden coming to Brooklyn. But what is the mindset of one Kyrie Irving going to be when he comes back? What is the mindset of the team going to be when Kyrie Irving comes back? Remember, Kyrie Irving was spotted at a birthday party for his sister. And then just moments before the game against the Knicks, he was on a Zoom call with a Democratic uh, representative. Now, we know that Kyrie does not play with a full deck. That's... We know that. And we also know that the NBA is also monitoring what fines may come out of this. And we're going to see what we can pull up on Kyrie before we us Kyrie is a, is a head case. Let's, let's just put it that way. Remember, the earth is flat. But Kyrie... What is his priorities, I wonder? Does he really want to play basketball? Makes you wonder sometimes. But I'm going to wait to see how this plays out. I'm not going to cast judgment on Kyrie Irving. It's not like my opinions of him matter anyway. Who am I? I'm just a guy on a little podcast that nobody hardly even knows about. But, oh, Lord's willing tomorrow. I want you all to get this. Mark this down. Have a young man that will be joining me tomorrow. He may be a full-time co-host with me, maybe a part-time. But tomorrow we're going to get some team chemistry. Guy by the name of Smokey Norfolk will be my co-host tomorrow. Yes, I reached. I seen him on uh, 
a sports chat group on Facebook. And uh, we got to talking and he said he wouldn't mind being my co-host if I needed one. So we're going to break ground tomorrow. Now, I know when some of y'all hear his name, Smokey Norfolk. No, not that Smokey Norfolk, but his name is Smokey Norfolk. Spelled the same identical way. And he does love gospel music. And we're going to dive some more into Kyrie Irving. Because uh, what is his priorities? Is it basketball or is it outside of basketball? Do you want to be Malcolm X? What What is it that makes Kyrie Irving tick? Because on the basketball court and fully locked and loaded in on the court, He's an unstoppable force. That's when he's on the court. It's off the court that scares me. And let me just say this. You bring Harden into the mix. Does Kyrie Irving have enough sage to go around the building? I just had to throw that in there. Anyway, this is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your conductor, Anthony Smith. I'm getting ready to sign off of here. Hope you have enjoyed this podcast. Uh, like it, share it. I can be heard on multiple platforms, wherever you get your podcast from. Also, this podcast is listener-supported by you, the listeners. So if you want to be sponsor this podcast with your small businesses, listen here. You can't beat the rates. $0.99, cents, $4.99, or $9.99 a month. And whatever you want me to read as far as your script, I will make the commercial for you. If you want to come on, we can highlight your business. This is the year I feel that we, as people, need to help each other. If you want to know how to make America great, tune into this podcast. Because it's all about helping each other grow. It's not about your political party affiliation, but it's about us being people and helping each other grow. I've had some wonderful guests, and I can call their names Steve Martin, Jody Adams, Coach Mark Potter, well, former Coach Mark Potter, Chris Allison, but there's going to be some more to come. I won't be solo all the time. Uh, Rick Thomas running the table. Met some people in other places. As a matter of fact, let me just go ahead and give you this name. Something you never heard of if you listen to this podcast, but you'll hear a lot of it. It's called Hood Fessionals Incorporated. Who is Hood Fessionals Incorporated? I'll tell you who they are. I will tell you in my uh, description of this podcast. And when you see it, click on the link and you will find out exactly what Hood Fessionals Incorporated is. He has a good cause. And you can tell him that you heard it about it right here on the A-Train Sports Talk podcast. So until the next time, take care of yourself and each other. Have a blessed evening.
This is the A-Transports Talk Podcast. I'm Dr. Anthony Smith signing off.